And welcome back to Bengal Bites, a podcast for real, raw, unfiltered talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and the NFL. I'm your host, Derek. This is episode 14. This is the week five preview episode where the Cincinnati Bengals go on the road again to Arizona to face the Cardinals. Both teams are one in three in this going into this game, but the vibe in the locker room and around the teams at one and three feels decidedly different between these two teams, and we'll talk about why that is. We'll go through some of the comments we heard in the media, in the locker room, and in the press conferences, and we'll talk about the Arizona team in general, just a scouting report about their coaching staff, the Arizona offense and defense, and players we need to look out for, things we need to be on the lookout for. We'll also touch on the fourth episode of the YouTube series, From the Jungle, that the Bengals are producing This one featured the Monday night Ring of Honor White Bengal game. Finally, we'll wrap up with our week five game picks where we pick all the games in the NFL straight up. As a reminder, this show is not sponsored by anyone or anything. I'm just a former football player and lifelong fan of the Bengals who wanted to make a podcast for you to listen to and enjoy to chronicle and document this 2023 Bengal season. It's kind of funny, I got an email from some kind of sports betting company that was like, oh, huge fan of the show. Would you be interested in a conversation about some kind of sponsorships on your podcast? Well, if he's a huge fan of the show, he would know that I don't do gambling, I don't do betting, and I don't do any sponsorships. It's just you and me here, fans. So none of that. I'm not going to put any dynamic ads every five minutes into the podcast. We're just talking football, nothing else. With that out of the way, let's talk about this matchup between the Cardinals and the Bengals. Going into this season, everybody had high expectations for the Bengals, very low expectations for the Cardinals. As I said in one of my preview episodes, I was like, oh, I'm going to bet against the Cardinals every single week because they're tanking, obviously. They lost their starting quarterback, Kyler Murray, to an ACL injury last December, and he's still not returned from injury. They got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, who is their big-time wide receiver. He actually was playing last week for the Titans, had a good game against us, the Bengals. But it was like, oh, you know, the Cardinals are offloading all their talented players, getting rid of all the good players they have on offense and defense, and they're just tanking for the number one overall pick in the draft this year. That's what everyone assumed. And so the fact that the Cardinals have come out and played competitive matchups in all their games and even won a game against the Cowboys the week after the Cowboys beat the Giants 40 to nothing, the Cardinals beat the Cowboys at home 28-16, so by, beat them by 12. Pretty convincing win over a good team. They lost by four to the Commanders in week one, and they lost by three to the Giants, where they were up by 21 or 28 over the Giants, and the Giants had a huge comeback in the second half. So the Cardinals were had a huge lead over the Giants, they beat the Cowboys, and then last week at San Francisco, they lost 35-16, to but it was a close game for most of the game, and the 49ers are probably the best team, one of the best teams in the NFL right now, so the fact that they got beat by the 49ers is not a surprise. So when we look at that compared to the Bengals, who got beat by 21 at Cleveland, they lost by three at home to the Ravens, they won over the Rams by three. And then they got beat by 24 points at, ten, at Tennessee. The way that the Bengals have lost these games has not been as close and as competitive as the losses that the Cardinals had, basically. Somehow, you know, even though a loss is a loss and a win is a win, 
the Cardinals' losses weren't as demoralizing and embarrassing as the Bengals' losses. And like I said, especially because it's part of expectations. The fact that nobody had any expectations for the Cardinals and they came out and beat the Cowboys and stayed close with the 49ers and the Commanders, it's like, whoa, you know, this is pretty good. On the other side, the expectations for the Bengals were so high that, you know, losing three games already, it's like, what's going on with the Bengals? Are, you know, is something wrong? There's got to be some kind of trouble in the Bengals organization to cause this. So that's the thing about expectations is they can kind of color your opinion about how a team's doing based on where you think they should be. For the Cardinals, if you listen to their press conferences and the attitude around the Cardinals is surprisingly upbeat. You know, the, the beat reporters, they're asking them kind of questions about, oh, what do you like about this? What are you seeing about this? And kind of leading them to give more positive responses. Whereas the Bengals reporters are like, yeah, like what's going on with you guys? What, what's up with this? How come this isn't working? How come that's not working? And so the responses you get from the Bengals coaches and players are more of a defensive, negative, you know, responding to criticism more than responding to praise. So it's a very different vibe that you get in all these press conferences and interviews between the two teams, even though they have the same record. It's kind of interesting. But you can tell both teams really want to win the game. I mean, you know, you would hope that professionals should want to win every game. But for the Bengals, they've been talking about how this is a must-win game. They asked Joe Burrow in the press conference, and before they could even finish the question of, is this a must-win game? Yes. Yes, it is a must-win game. Absolutely a must-win game. They were 0-2, and they were like, ah, oh, you know, week three, we can't call week three a must-win game. But they won, so they went to 1-2, and two, and the, kind of some of the pressure was off, so they didn't have to worry about whether or not the week four against the Titans was a must-win game. Now they lost that game, they're 1-3. Now it's back to being, this is a must-win game again. It is a must-win game. If they go to 1-4, and four, I mean, it's going to be that much harder to have a realistic chance of making the playoffs. And you would say, if they can't even beat the Cardinals, how are they going to beat any of the other supposed you know, good teams? If the Cardinals are expected to be one of the worst teams in the league and the Bengals lose to them, that is not going to say good, optimistic things about the rest of the Bengals' season. For a lot of reasons, from the Bengals' point of view, this is a must-win game, not only for their record, for the team morale, but just by the fact that this is a game that they marked down as a win before the season started. There's like, this game, if we don't win, we're messing up. So they have to win this game, or something has gone severely wrong with their season in general. The Cardinals, they have just as much hunger and desire to win this game, but it's a little bit different. They already kind of already playing from behind, assuming everybody just counted them out, but they're hungry for a win. They got one against Dallas. They were close against the Giants. They're close against the 49ers, but, you know, didn't quite get over the hump. But they're a team that has building confidence in themselves, saying, hey, we played close against the 49ers. We beat the Cowboys, who are a good team. So even though their record may not show it, they're probably thinking, hey, we're a pretty good team. We can play with anybody. It doesn't matter if the Bengals went to two AFC championships in the last year. We don't care anything about that. We're going to come in and get a win against the Bengals or whoever. So both these teams really want this. And I'm sure from the Bengals' perspective, you know, there's not a whole lot of history between the Cardinals and the Bengals. Like, it's not an AFC opponent. It's not an AFC North divisional rival. Like, 
the Browns or the Ravens, and they didn't play against the Cardinals in a recent Super Bowl or anything like that. So for the Bengals, this should be just like a gray, faceless, nameless opponent. It doesn't matter who it is out there on the field. It could be the Ohio State Buckeyes out there. It could be the 1972 Miami Dolphins. Put any team out there, the Bengals have got to be ready to play. So if it's the Arizona Cardinals, the Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers, whatever. Bengals need to win no matter what. Now we've seen the tone kind of change in some of these press conferences with the players and the coaches. Like after the Browns game, week one, Zach Taylor in the post-game press conference, not showing any panic, totally confident. Oh, we're, you know, we know that this isn't the team that we're going to be this season. We got full confidence in this team. We're going to get everything on track. No problem. You know, not, not, not worried at all. Oh, good. We're going to get right. This is just a little blip on the radar, you know, an anomaly, basically. He was calling week one an anomaly. And then week two, they lost by three points. Hey, you know, Lamar Jackson's good. Close game. It's another tough opponent, you know. And they were like, How, Zach, you're 0-2. He's like, well, you know, those two good teams, you know, two really good teams that are going to be in the playoffs this year. You know, okay, fine. Play two good teams right off the bat. Fine, fair, fair enough. They got that win against the Rams. It was a big win, you know. It feel good. Everybody's feeling good. The Rams, not quite as good as they had been in previous years and not having Cooper Cup out there, probably down on some talent a little bit. But sure, you know, big win, whatever. Get to one and two, feeling good about that. But then, like Ted Karras said after the postgame against the Titans and they lost in embarrassing fashion, you can't have too many disregards or redos or do-overs. You know, you can't keep saying... Oh, you know, that was a fluke. Oh, you know, they're not really that good, but they got us this week. Like, you can't keep losing games going one and three, one and four. You know, you can't go to the Cardinals this week and say, ah, you know, it's no big deal. Losing to the worst team or one of the worst teams in the NFL. Not worried about it. We'll get the shit. No, you need to win the game against a team that is bad. Otherwise, you're going to be a bad team. You're going to be seen around the league as a bad team. If you get beat by other teams that are bad, guess what? You're a bad team. So the Bengals really need to show, and they're favored in this game. Bengals are favored by three points. So the gamblers, the casinos, they still believe that the Bengals have enough talent on their roster to overcome any deficiencies that they may have in the coaching staff and beat the Cardinals, who are not brimming with stars. Like I said, Kyler Murray has been out. He's their biggest star, their one who takes up the most amount of their salary cap. So from a salary cap perspective, Cardinals have a lot of players inactive, not even out on the field. Even outside of Kyler Murray, the people they have active, their highest salaries are all on offense. So Marquise Hollywood Brown is about 13 and a half mil. DJ Humphreys, their left tackle is up there. Zach Ertz, their tight end. And James Conner, their tailback. Those guys are all at or above about $10 million in terms of salary for this year. After that, you get down to like $5 million, $4 million for some of the guys on defense. But they're invested in their offense, more so in their defense. And that's why, from a statistical perspective, their offense has shown a lot more success than their defense has this year. Basically, the two biggest stars for the Cardinals, Kyler Murray and Buda Baker, their safety have been out so far this year. So those are two key players for the Cardinals that are missing. 
they're still playing hard, even though they're down their two stars on offense and defense. Cardinals are still playing up to their level of competition. Now, on Wednesday, we saw Joe Burrow give his weekly press conference, and he said he felt good and he felt optimistic about his mobility and his movement. We saw Twitter videos that showed him just doing individual drills where he would take a snap, take a few steps back into the pocket, and throw it deep. But just compared to the week before, he looked noticeably better. Like his movement and just kind of the spring in his step and the way he was taking those drop backs, even if it was just very minimal movement, it looked and appeared like he had more mobility. So he said that he expects that to continue to improve week by week as long as he doesn't have any setbacks. So assuming that he's going into this game without any setbacks, then he should be able to move a little bit better than he did last week. Last week, his mobility was not great. He obviously was limited. He couldn't scramble. He he took off for like a two-yard run and immediately slid as soon as he got past the first down marker. So he was not trying to run at all. He was trying to not run and get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. So we'll see. He's talked about how he's had to adjust his game because he's basically having to catch the ball, stand there, and throw it without moving at all. He's like a human jugs machine where he just stands there, throws the ball, doesn't move at all. And that makes it hard. You know, the offense is not designed to have a quarterback who doesn't move. If you look at any other game in the NFL, the quarterbacks are moving. They're not, you know, sprinting all over the place like Michael Vick, but they're at least moving up and down side to side, avoiding defenders, avoiding the rush making space and giving themselves and their receivers time to get open, find some separation from those defenders. It's a stark contrast when you watch a Bengals game versus any other game in the NFL because every other quarterback is able to move way more than Joe Burrow. Even the slowest, most immobile quarterbacks like Mac Jones. Like even Mac Jones could move better than Joe Burrow at this point, which is saying a lot. That makes it Tough on the receivers, tough on the offensive linemen to block, tough on the coaches to try to call an offense and offensive game plan for a quarterback who's limited so much. So the offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, had a quote. It's too bad that we couldn't get like the whole quote and see the whole thing on video because if you just take the snippet, a little sound, sound bites, it sounds worse than probably with the way that he meant it. But it, he said basically that they can't just change the whole offense overnight and it just comes down to the players executing the plays that are called, kind of making it sound like they're calling the right plays and having the right design. It's just that the players aren't executing the plays well enough, which is kind of true, but also, you know, as the coach, if you kind of say they just need to execute, it's putting all the blame on the players and not taking any responsibility as the coach. So, you know, just in general, you don't want to see anybody in an organization put all the blame on somebody else unless it's really their fault. But, you know, in, in these situations where it's, you're all working together, you would like to see the coach say, and maybe he doesn't want to say like, oh yeah, we're definitely changing up the whole game plan this week. You know, he can't say that, but at, you, you would like to see him be a little bit more supportive of the team. He'd be like, yeah, you know, I need to do a better job calling the plays. Players need to do a better job executing the plays that I call. A little bit of both, not just say, yeah, I called some good plays. I don't know what those players were doing. But it was a little bit jarring to hear Joe Burrow talking about his mobility in the past tense. Like he was like, you know, in the past, I was able to use my legs to scramble and get first downs and make plays. And now I need to adapt and adjust and find a new way to get those. It's like, so he's basically saying like he can't do the things that he has always done in the past. Now he needs to find a new way to get the job done, 
which is very scary to me. You don't want a player to have to totally adjust what he's been good at for his entire career and figure it out on the fly. You know, that's it's a scary prospect. And again, it really does not say anything for Jake Browning and his abilities. Like the fact that nobody thinks he can play football in the whole organization. They would rather have a hurt, limited Joe Burrow trying to – like it's basically like if Joe Burrow was like, oh, you know, I got my right arm cut off, but I'm just going to go out there and throw left-handed. They'd still be like, yeah, you know, that sounds better than Jake Browning. Get out there and throw left-handed under underarm, Joe Burrow. Just throw it underarm, sidearm, left-handed, whatever you got to do. We just don't want Jake Browning to play. That's what they're saying, and that is scary to me because, yes, we don't want a starting quarterback to get hurt. Obviously, that's not good. But it shouldn't completely ruin your season just from the beginning. Like Philadelphia Eagles, you know, not that long ago, Carson Wentz looking good. He got hurt. They still had Nick Foles to take him through the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. Everybody knows that if Joe Burrow got hurt, Jake Browning is not winning any football games. He's not winning any playoff games. And Jake Browning is definitely not leading the Bengals to the Super Bowl. It just is so infuriating why they can't figure out the backup quarterback situation. They still have money that they could spend. They, they're not like totally up against the salary cap. They haven't hit the limit yet. So they have money that they could sign somebody, bring somebody else in. But they're always just like, nope, we feel good about the players we got on the team already. We don't need anybody. Nobody from outside could help us. We have everything we need in the room to be successful. That had better be true or there are going to be a lot of questions at the end of the season, if they end up winning like two or three games and they went through the whole season saying, well, we had everything we needed, then something went wrong inside the room and it's going to be Zach Taylor. It's not going to fall on Joe Burrow. We already know that. Joe Burrow is not getting any blame for anything. Zach Taylor is ultimately responsible for the results of this team. So it's going to fall on Zach Taylor. And even though he had an extension through 2026, this can't go on forever. Like I know Mike Brown is very loyal. So we saw... Marvin Lewis stay around for probably two or three seasons longer than he should have been. Zach Taylor, we'll see how long he lasts if this keeps up. There are a couple other interesting quotes from the locker room. We saw somebody asked Joe Mixon if he was concerned about the way the team had started. Something, you know, basically, is he concerned? He's like, why would I be concerned? You know, do you know who we have in this locker room? You know who we have at quarterback? You know who we have at receiver? You know who we have in the backfield? Why would I be concerned? No. So, you know, he's saying, you know, we've got so much talent on this team. I'm not concerned about anything. <laughs> but obviously the reporter had to push him a little because you're one in three. He's like, okay, well, maybe concern wasn't the right reason. But is there more of a sense of urgency now that you guys are one in three? Because you don't want to be a player standing up there like, what, losing every game? I'm not concerned about that at all. Hell no. Like, I mean, you need to at least fake be concerned. Like, because then otherwise, as a fan, it's like, what are these guys doing? They don't care. They're just getting ready to go lose and collect a paycheck and not really care. So you have to at least be fake concerned and not just not care at all. So, oh, yeah, I mean, there's a sense of urgency, you know. You know, he said they need to figure it out. But, like, they still believe that they have enough talent in the locker room to overcome anybody, beat any team, which may be true. But so far, the results have not proven out that way. We also saw Tyler Boyd give an interview in the locker room where one of his quotes was talking about how people on social media, they can say whatever they want, but he said he thinks it's funny because 10 weeks from now, all those people are going to be trying to get back on the bandwagon and trying to be part of 
this Bengals season saying, oh yeah, I told you so. I knew they were going to come back and do this. So hopefully that's true. Hopefully nobody is jumping off the bandwagon yet, but if they have, hopefully the Bengals are able to prove those people wrong and bring them back before the season is up. So that's got to be the mentality. Show any of the doubters wrong. And after Joe Burrow gave that quote about it being a must-win game, then the reporters went and asked, you know, they they just kind of filter out these quotes to the other players and get their reaction. So they say, oh, Joe Burrow said this is a must-win game this week. What do you think? Well, obviously the players are going to be like, oh, well, that's what Joe Burrow said. Oh, yes, it is a must-win game this week. That's just like Joe Burrow said. They're not going to be like, ah, Joe, Dur- Joe Burrow doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not a must-win No, they're going to agree with the quarterback, the leader of the team, and say, yes, this is a must-win game. Absolutely, we need to go in there and do whatever we got to do. It, I mean, you never say a must-win because mathematically, it's not, they're not going to be eliminated if they lose this game. But from a morale perspective and just respect around the league perspective, if they lose to the Cardinals, the Bengals are going to take a huge negative hit. Now, after I checked out all the Bengals interviews and press conferences I wanted to fill in some of my knowledge about the Cardinals because I hadn't been that's one of the things I realized is I've been watching all these Bengals interviews and Bengals press conferences but I haven't been watching the other teams so I'm kind of missing out on half of the information so I went back and watched a little bit of the Titans and they were obviously happy the Titans mentioned uh, Jeffrey Simmons their big star defensive tackle number 98 he was talking after the game, and they talked about how they had three keys for the defense from coach, their head coach, Mike Vrabel. The first key was to assault the middle of the pocket. And basically, you know, they knew that Joe Burrow wasn't able to move, so just assault the middle of the pocket, push forward straight at the quarterback. He's not going anywhere, so just cause chaos and commotion so he's not able to make throws easily, and that's what they did. They also said make sure to keep an eye on Jamar Chase wherever he goes, know where Jamar Chase is every play, and also stop Joe Mixon. Those are the Titans' three keys on defense. And those aren't like secret, you know, that's not like a secret formula of beating the Bengals. The quarterback can't move, keep an eye on Jamar Chase, stop Joe Mixon. That's probably, you know, the game plan for every defense in the NFL that faces the Bengals. But just the fact that he was putting it out there that teams know Joe Burrow can't move, blow up the middle of the pocket, and we win. That's what you've got to expect from other teams. Now, every team doesn't have a Jeffrey Simmons or a defensive line like the Browns or the Ravens or the Titans that can do that. We'll see if the Cardinals are able to execute that same game plan. It's going to depend on whether the Cardinals have the players to do it. They don't have a stud defensive line. So, you know, maybe it comes down to scheme, whether or not the Cardinals coaches can put those players in positions to be successful and blow up the pocket against Joe Burrow. I also watched the press conferences from the head coach and the coordinators. It's so funny when you watch the other team's media and compare it to the Bengals. I don't know if I've found a team that has like lower production quality and lower just quality standards in general than the Bengals. Like every other team has better audio, better camera setup. They have more media content than the Bengals. So like Cardinals, they had their head coach and all of their offense, defense, and special teams coordinators on video giving interviews. The Bengals only show the head coach and the quarterback. They never show their coordinators. I don't know if that's intentional or what, but Cardinals showed their offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinators. So you got a little bit more of a feel for what they're thinking, what they're trying to do just as an organization. 
And the other thing that stuck out to me about this was their head coach, Jonathan Gannon. He was with the Eagles before this. Uh, he and Shane Steichen were both coordinators for the Eagles. Now Jonathan Gannon is the head coach, but he's not a coordinator. He is just the kind of like a John Harbaugh for the Ravens or Bill Belichick or one of these coaches where he is the head coach of the everything. And he said in the interview that he's responsible for everything that happens out on the field. So every play, offense, defense, special teams, he is responsible for everything, every player, every action. All of his coordinators come to him to make the decisions about what they're going to do in different situations in the game. So they were asking him about they ran a fake punt on some fourth and fourth down and the reporters were asking him what's the conversation like how did they decide you know between the special teams coordinator and the head coach when and how to run the fake and all this kind of stuff so it was an interesting dynamic because that's totally different than what the Bengals do for the Bengals Zach Taylor is the head coach but he's also the offensive coordinator even though Brian Callahan is the title is the offensive coordinator Zach calls all the plays he's kind of the decision maker in all the offense. So maybe Callahan might give him a suggestion, but if Zach's the play caller and he's the head coach, you feel like Zach is the one making the decisions. But on the other hand, he seems to know nothing about defense, has no influence on the defense at all. He talks about the Bengals defense as if they're a completely separate unit outside of his purview. He does not have any influence or control in the defense. He does. He talks about the defense in the you know the third person, like oh yeah those guys they did this and they did that, but he doesn't act like he's involved in it at all. And it's a you know it's a, just a different philosophy because there's coaches who do it both ways. Like I said, there's coaches who are the delegator, like the Harbaugh or the Belichick, but you also have like an Andy Reid or a Mike McDaniel or a Kevin Stefanski where they're the head coach, but they're also the offensive play callers. And, I mean, on the other side, you have, like, the Bears now. The Bears, Eberflus, he was calling the defensive plays for the Bears' defense last night on Thursday Night Football. You know, the coach doesn't necessarily always have to be a non-play caller position, but it's just an, a different philosophy. A lot of Bengals fans have been asking for Zach Taylor to give up the play calling and just be the head coach in kind of a similar, in kind of a similar way. But, I mean, maybe that worked because... As far as an offensive play caller, he hasn't been very effective. So maybe somebody else would be better. But then would he be better as a head coach than just an offense? I mean, I guess he couldn't be. I guess he couldn't be worse if you gave him less responsibilities. He should theoretically be better at just doing the one head coach job as opposed to trying to do both head coach and offensive play caller at the same time. Maybe he could just focus on one. I. I mean, I guess you know you'd have to just try it out and see, but I don't think he's ever going to do that. He's never going to give up the offensive play calling because Zach Taylor has so much confidence in himself. Hey, we went to back-to-back -back AFC championship games. We went to the Super Bowl with me as the play caller. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why would I give up that control of the offense when it's worked so well for me? He's never going to admit that he is not good at calling offensive plays. He's never going to give up the responsibility unless they just fire him as the head coach. So, I mean, I think if he, if he ever got to the position where he had to give up offensive play calling I think that would be about the time where he was probably in his last season and about to get fired anyway one of the other things that stood out all the coordinators on the Cardinals except for the special teams coordinator the offensive and defensive coordinators are first-time coordinators the defensive coordinator especially is 
just turned 30 years old. So he looks very young. He looks like one of the players instead of a coach. So not a ton of experience necessarily just based on age, but you know, you'd think they must be smart guys who are able to drop a good game plan. So it's going to be kind of a, another contrast between the Bengals and the Cardinals where the Cardinals, new coaches, new fresh ideas, you know, haven't been around too long. Whereas the Bengals, this is year five of this coaching staff. They've all been in the league for a long time. They've got their ideas about what they want to do and philosophies. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Bengals can come out with something new and fresh and adapt on the fly to what hasn't been working so far, or if they kind of try to stick with the same thing and just get better at the execution of that thing. Looking at the Cardinals offensive unit, they are led by their quarterback number nine, Joshua Dobbs. That name should be familiar to Bengals fans because he was drafted by the Steelers. Uh, this is his seventh year. He came in same time with Mike Hilton, the Bengals' nickel cornerback. Then he's bounced around for a, Josh Dobbs has bounced around for a few years to a few different teams. He played on the Browns, Titans. He was on, and so now he's with the Cardinals. After he went back to the Browns. And the Browns traded him before the season started. A lot of people are asking why the Browns trade Josh Dobbs away now that Dorian Thompson Robinson, their rookie, came out and lost. They're like, oh, why do we get rid of Josh Dobbs? He looks pretty good for the Cardinals now. But he's been looking good. He's got about 70% completion percentage, and I think he's in the top 10 in the NFL in passer rating. So he's He's been pretty effective as a passer, and he's able to scramble with his legs and pick up some first down. He's not a uh, tremendously fast guy, but he's got size. He's about 6'3", 225, able to break out of some tackles in the pocket. And when he needs to, he's able to pick up first downs, you know, get 8, 9, 10 yards when he needs to. And he has also not thrown any interceptions this year. So through four games, no interceptions, he's doing a good job of taking care of the football and not turning it over, which is critically important for quarterbacks in the NFL. The Cardinals offense is probably the stronger side of their team in terms of offense and defense. And they've been pretty balanced in terms of running and passing. They're outgaining the Bengals offense considerably, but their running back, James Conner, also used to play for the Steelers. He was drafted in 2017. They might have been, he might have been the same draft class as Josh Dobbs, but about the same age as Josh Dobbs. James Conner, number six, their running back. He's having a pretty good year so far over 300 yards rushing in four games. And Marquise Hollywood Brown, number two, their leading wide receiver, another AFC North guy. He was drafted by the Ravens not too long ago. He got traded to the Cardinals last season. The Cardinals also have number four, Rondale Moore, who was one of their high draft picks a season or two ago. And a rookie, number 14, Michael Wilson, he had two touchdown catches last week against the 49ers. So they've got three wide receivers who are capable of making big plays. And they've got a good running back and a good quarterback. So if their offensive line can hold up, the Cardinals should be able to move the ball and score some points as they have been all season. They've been scoring on average a lot more points than the Bengals have. Now on the defensive side, this is where the Cardinals are a little bit weaker. Not a lot of big names. Buda Baker, their star safety is out. They don't have a huge, you know, pass rush or anything. They've got an undrafted guy, number 45, Dennis Gardeck. I think he's in season number seven or eight. He's about 28 or 29, 
from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a long hair guy, kind of a crazy, he's not big at all. He's only like 6'3", 230 maybe. So for a defensive lineman, you know, not big at all, but he's got the, the quickness and the hustle factor. He just, you know, tenacity and hard work, and he's just going to go 100% every play and outwork the other guy. Not necessarily with size or strength, but just speed, quickness, and tenacity is what Gardeck's going to do. The Cardinals' leading tackler, number seven, Kaiser White, is a middle linebacker. He's got one interception, um, you know, solid player, so I'll have to keep track of him. Their defensive backfield, not a lot of experience. They've got one of their leading tackles is also one of their cornerbacks, number 13, Kytrell Clark, sixth-round pick. You know, not a high-round pick, so neither one of the Cardinals cornerbacks are especially elites in terms of their draft status pedigree so it's going to be interesting to see if Jamar Chase is able to get a good matchup and take advantage of some of these cornerbacks he should be able to get open it's just going to be a matter of can the Bengals protect give Joe Burrow enough time and if Joe Burrow is able to get it to Jamar Chase it's going to be a little bit more difficult because it's looking like T Higgins is going to be out for this game he had that fractured rib has not practiced at all this week. So it's likely that he's going to be doubtful and out for this game, if I had to guess. But speaking of Bengals injuries, I think that Cam Taylor Britt is looking like he's going to play. So he's practiced Thursday in a limited fashion, but he was in full pads. So he had the concussion. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a neurotrauma expert. Didn't look like an extremely violent hard hit to the head where he'd be like like totally knocked out so hopefully it was just kind of more of a mild concussion he's he's able to play this week that would be helpful for the Bengals defense overall I still am kind of a little bit surprised that the Bengals are favored by three on the road in this game I mean like I said both teams have the same record one and three yes the Bengals on paper have better players like the Cardinals are missing Basically, they're two best players in Kyler Murray and Buda Baker. Both are two best players on the offense and defense. The Bengals should have the advantage in terms of player skill, just in terms of who they have on the roster. That's not taking into account who the who's on the coaching staff and which coaching staff is better. But for some reason, Las Vegas still thinks that the Bengals are the better team overall. And But keep in mind that the Bengals were also favored by about the same amount going into the Tennessee Titans game, and they ended up losing by 24. So Vegas obviously doesn't necessarily know all the time what's going to happen. Now for the From the Jungle episode four that came out this week, it was a, probably the best episode so far of the series, I'd say, mostly because they won the game. It makes it a lot better for an episode when they win the game as opposed to getting blown out by the Browns or somebody. So this episode, and it was also good because it was narrated by Chad Johnson. So they previously had Zach Taylor, who was like the most boring narrator of anything ever. And they had Tyler Boyd and Mike Hilton were the previous two narrators. This, this episode was narrated by Chad Johnson and he did a great job. You know, he's very theatric and he did a good job with that. They showed Chad and Boomer coming into Mike Brown's office at Paycor, and he was telling them that they were going to be going into the Ring of Honor. Now, one thing I noticed, this is the fourth episode of this From the Jungle series now, and they've showed Mike Brown in 
almost all of them. I, I would have to go back and look, but I think they showed Mike Brown in all the episodes. And in every episode, he's wearing the same clothes. So he's always got khaki pants and a blue shirt on. And just a side note, Mike Brown, it's obvious why he always has to take the golf cart everywhere because he has a huge belly. Like, Mike Brown needs to, like, maybe hit up the walk to the stadium instead of the golf cart every once in a while. But anyway, Mike Brown, he has always got the same clothes on. So either they film these all on the same day or Mike Brown is one of those kind of Steve Jobs CEO types where he wears the same clothes every day or like he, these are his good clothes that he has in the closet and they're like, okay, we're going to have the cameras. Mike Brown, get out your blue shirt and khakis. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just kind of weird that he's always wearing the same outfit all the time. But it was a good episode in general. They showed, you know, the Monday Night Football, Ring of Honor, White Bengal, and Chad and Boomer getting their jackets and all that kind of stuff. And they had a little bit behind the scenes. So just a little bit more flavor. <laughs> that that was the majority of the episode. So that was good. And then like the last 30 seconds were the Titans game where they got blown away. They showed Zach Taylor like, oh, that was unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. But that's really, they they left the Titans game to the end and kind of more of an afterthought. But it was mostly Rams game, Ring of Honor. Hey, remember that time we won? You know, that, that has been the highlight of the season so far. And I'm glad that I had the opportunity to go and be at the game. If they're going to win one game, you know, I'm glad I was there. Okay, let's do the week five game picks. Picking all the games. Last night, Chicago at Washington. They already played this game. I picked Washington. Bears got their first win of the season. DJ Moore went absolutely insane, like, just on hitches. Like, it was like the defensive backs for the commanders thought they were going to get an interception every play, and then it turned into a touchdown for the Bears. <laughs> anyway, Bears got their first win. Good for the Bears. I did not pick them. I'm going to take Buffalo over Jacksonville in London. Um... Uh, Jacksonville plays pretty well in London, but Buffalo is just, you know, they're playing too well to make me bet against them. I'm going to take the Texans over the Falcons. C.J. Stroud has made me a believer, so he's got 300-yard passing games like every game this year, much better than Desmond Ritter. So I'm going to take the I'm going to take the Texans over the Falcons. Lions over the Panthers. Pan Panthers have looked horrible. Colts Titans. This is going to be a tough one because they're in Indianapolis. Anthony Richardson is back. Uh, I'll say Tennessee over the Colts just because you know the Titans beat the Bengals so bad. They must be pretty good, right? Um, I'm going to take the Dolphins over the Giants in Miami. Dolphins are going to get back on track after a loss to the Bills. Hmm. Saints and Patriots in New England. I'll take the Patriots. Baltimore at Pittsburgh. Uh, give me the Ravens. Give me the Ravens on that one. Eagles at the Rams. I'm taking the Eagles. Bengals at Cardinals. This is a 405 game. So when we watch this, it's going to have some generic guy I never heard of and Mark Sanchez and Laura Aukman. So not the A team for the Fox or the B team. Probably like the C or D team. This is what you get when you're one and three. You got two one and three teams facing. You don't get the top broadcast group. Jets at the Broncos. I'm going to take the Jets. This is the revenge game. Sean Payton versus Nathaniel Hackett. 
Sean Payton was talking a lot of mess about how Nathaniel Hackett was the worst coach in the NFL history, which may be true, but still, you can't be saying that. So I want to take the Jets over the Broncos and Kansas City at Minnesota. Give me the Chiefs. Minnesota, they got a win, but they're still looking rough this year. Cowboys at the 49ers. This is the big Sunday night game. Both these teams are looking good, but I'm going to have to go with the 49ers in this one. And then Monday night, Green Bay at Las Vegas. Even though Jimmy Garoppolo should be back in this game, they're in Las Vegas. Jordan Love for the Packers hasn't looked that good, but they got Aaron Jones back. Uh, it's a tough one. I'm going to say Raiders pull it out on Monday Night Football. So week five is going to be another exciting week of football. We're going to have to see if the Bengals are able to get a win out in Arizona. One thing I forgot, one of the storylines to watch was Paris Johnson Jr., tackle rookie, right tackle for the Cardinals. He is an Ohio State alumni and Cincinnati native. I think he went to Princeton High School. That'll be one thing to keep an eye on in this game is how well he's able to block Sam Hubbard. They're going to be going one-on-one. Sam Hubbard's from Cincinnati. Paris Johnson Jr. is from Cincinnati. So two Cincinnati guys going at each other battling all game will be a good matchup to watch. So we'll have to see whether T plays. If T Higgins isn't able to play, Bengals might have to change up their offense and get Andre Yosivash, wide receiver from Princeton University, out there. Maybe he can get his first catches in some meaningful playing time. He's seen a few snaps here and there, but mostly just to get in on like run plays, blocking plays. He hasn't been a contributor on the offense too much. So if T's not able to go, we know Charlie Jones is out. He actually had thumb surgery this week. So he had a, a thumb injury. He's been on IR. We didn't know the severity or what exactly happened. So it must have been pretty severe for it to require surgery, which is too bad because Charlie Jones was, you know, he's a rookie. He already had a torn labrum in his left shoulder in training camp. Now he has to have surgery on his thumb. So it's a rough rookie season for Charlie Jones. Hopefully he's able to get back. He said by week nine, he was thinking. So hopefully, you know, midway through the season, we'll get Charlie Jones back and he can be a returner and receiver for this team. But either way, this is going to be an exciting must-win matchup. I know it's Early in the season, we didn't expect to be calling Week 5 against the Cardinals a must-win game. This was going to be a, you know, we thought it was going to be smooth sailing. We'll just go into Arizona, win, no problem, not a care in the world, roll over these guys. Well, not so fast, my friend. We're going to have to figure out whether the Bengals are for real or not in this game. This is going to be another measuring stick game, you know. I mentioned last week how going up against the Titans, because Bengals had lost to the Browns, Titans had lost to the Browns, so... You know, maybe they were going to be on even footing. Well, Titans showed that the Bengals were not on an even footing that day. We'll have to see. The Cardinals and the Bengals haven't had too many similar opponents. I don't think the Cardinals have played the Rams yet to be able to... No, the Cardinals haven't played the Rams yet to be able to figure out, you know, how, how good they are. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. Hopefully the Bengals come out on top. But tune in Sunday at 4 o'clock, not the 1 o'clock start. So the Bengals get a little bit later start. So you get to watch Red Zone and all the other games that are going on at the 1 o'clock. Then tune over, switch over to watch the Bengals on Fox at 4 o'clock. We'll be back after the game with a recap of all the action. Hopefully they get a big win and we can talk about the press conference interviews, post-game interviews, and everything that happened throughout the game. But until then, I'm going to leave you with a who day and stay hungry for more Bengal Bites. Mm-hmm.